I want to say good morning to you. My name's Scott Taylor. I'm a longtime member here at Calvary. For those of you who might be visiting this morning, I want to say welcome. Um, appreciate you taking the time to be here with us this morning. Um, I, I know that when I have the opportunity to speak, I'm, I'm hypersensitive and aware of the, the words of the songs. Um, on any Sunday, it might happen to be, just this one happens to be Easter. I hope you have been attentive um, to what the, the choir and the, the other numbers have been, the songs that we were singing, um, because this is, this is everything. This is literally everything. This day that we celebrate, the events of this day, are the most important events and occurrences in the history of the world. Full stop. Nothing comes close. Nothing else matters. This is everything. And I want to start this morning with the phrase that you've heard before, I'm sure. Simple phrase that Jesus loves you. We've heard it, we've seen it. Maybe someone has said that specifically to you at some point in your life and that resonated with you and caused you to make a decision that changed your life. So you've heard it in a one-on-one conversation. You may sometimes drive down the highway and you see it on a billboard where someone has invested their funds to proclaim that message that Jesus loves you. I know I've seen it written in the sky with, a, with an airplane, those sky riders, they start to write a letter and you're trying to figure out what it says. I've seen a sky rider put up the phrase that Jesus loves you. If you grew up in church, this was probably the first song that you ever learned. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves you. If you remember those motions or if you did those like I did growing up. And it's, it's great to know that, um, but it's more important maybe to know or as important to know why that even matters. Why do, we know that he, why do we need to know that he loves us? Why is his love more important than anybody else's? Why should I even care about the fact that Jesus loves me? Well, what we're going to look at this morning is the reason that it matters is because of who he is and what he's done. Because of who he is and because of what he's done, he has solved our biggest problem. The biggest, most consequential problem for every person that has ever been or ever will be is that our sin, my personal sin, has created a separation from God and I can't fix it. The greatest problem that every person has is that our sin creates a separation from God and we can't fix it. Because of our sin, we're separated from God in life. And because of our sin in death, we face the prospect of being separated permanently in an existence that is bad in ways that are beyond imagination. But through Jesus Christ, God made a way for us to be reconciled to him now and forever. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone... Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. A couple of weeks ago when I was asked to speak on Easter Sunday, first I checked the date and I said, are you sure that you mean Easter Sunday? Um, But then as I started to pray and just prepare for this morning, 
My prayer has been for two different groups of people. One, that everyone who hears this will believe that all of this is true. And if you've not heard this message before and have not yet believed that this is true, my prayer is that at the end of this morning you will believe that this is true. But for those of you who, in, who are in here and already believe, I pray that you will be confidently assured that it's true. And this morning with me, your heart will praise God for what he's done. So let's go ahead and open in prayer as we really get in, dive into this. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for what has taken place this morning already. I pray that you are pleased by the worship of our hearts if we've lifted our voices in song. Lord, we thank you for the phrases that the songwriters have written that remind us so clearly of what has happened in this transaction where death through death was conquered for us and our sins have been trampled and death has been arrested and we are in fact alive in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we look into your word, we claim the power of the words that you had men write to communicate your message and thoughts to us. You say that the Holy Spirit speaks through those words to our hearts and we pray that you will do that this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate very clearly your message and that I might say the things that you want me to say. And we trust the power of the Spirit to communicate that to our hearts in a way that makes this an incredible morning, a truly special morning where we can celebrate the death and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. For an Easter message, I'm going to ask if you have a Bible to turn somewhere that might seem a little bit unique. We're going to start in John chapter 11, the story of a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and if you're not familiar with the story, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses, and you'll understand in a minute why he matters. The thing that I want you to understand as we look at this, this story of Lazarus is who is Jesus? Remember, we're going to answer two questions that that reflect why it matters that he loves us, who he is and what he's done. In this story, we're going to look at who is Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. There's another account in, the, in a different part of the Bible where it talks about an act of worship that Mary had, had displayed before Jesus. But this is her brother, Lazarus, he's sick. So the sister sent word to Jesus, to him, saying, Lord, behold whom you love, he whom you love is sick. So there's clearly a relationship here where there's an affection. Behold, he he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not meant for death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, He then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So rather than immediately packing up and heading to be with Lazarus and his sisters, he stayed for a couple of days and just waited before they headed that way. The reason he did that is from the moment that Jesus heard of Lazarus's illness, he knew that Lazarus was going to die. He knew that. From an earthly perspective, obviously this is a tragedy, but Jesus knew better. Jesus knew that for him there was no more finality in death than there is in sleep. He uses language to indicate that a little bit better, a little bit further on. He also knew that he was going to use this event for the glory of God and for his own glory as the Son of God. If you look back at verse 4, it says this, This sickness is not meant for death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So I'm going to ask the question, why is God's glory 
beneficial to us. Jesus made this decision. He said, I'm gonna wait because if I wait and go and see Lazarus a few days from now, it will be for the glory of God and so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. The reason that's beneficial to us, if God is not glorified for who he is and what he's done and what he can do, then we have a couple of problems. The first problem is this, without a glorified God, we won't ever recognize the need to be saved from our sinful condition. It's only against his glory that we see ourselves as we are. If we don't see a holy, righteous, perfect God, then our sins become justifiable and minimized and they don't matter as much and we don't need to do anything about it. That's the first problem we have. Second, without a glorified son of God, we'll never see or believe that we can be saved from our sins. If we don't believe in who Jesus is and that he is the glorified son of God, then we have no method to make that reconciliation and move from sin towards righteousness. It's only in the glorification of Jesus as the son of God that we can see that that is possible. And so in just a short period of time from this story with Lazarus and this interaction of what happens here, in just a short period of time, Jesus is going to be crucified. And if he's not appropriately identified as the son of God, and there's no substance behind that identification, if there's nothing to it, then at his crucifixion, he's just some religious troublemaker with an inflated view of himself, and he's gone. And he doesn't matter, and he's irrelevant. So it is incredibly important that he glorifies God and that he glorifies himself as the son of God. That's who he is. You'll see the word believe come up. Matt Matt referenced it even in introductory comments. Believe, the idea of believing and belief. You're going to see that in the next several verses that we read this theme come up because belief in God and glorification of God are linked together. And at the end of this, what I'm asking is for all of us to believe in what we're looking at. Continuing John chapter 11, we're going to read a lot of verses here, and I ask you to pay close attention to them. I know sometimes we can tend to zone out a little bit when the scripture is read, but these are the most important words that I'll say this morning are the ones directly from the Bible. In John chapter 11, verse 11, it says, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going so that I may awaken him from sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will come out of it. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about actual sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. In verse 21, it says, Martha, when he gets there, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, there's believe again, will live, will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I've come to believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, and he who comes into the world. Moving down now to verse 33, still in John chapter 11. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping 
and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved them? See how he loved him? But some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the man who was blind not have also kept this man from dying? So they wanted the miracle to be not to bring him back from, from being dead, but to just prevent the illness that killed him. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. You can imagine yourself in this situation, your observer, you're watching this happen. Jesus walks up, he says, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But I know, that you, I know that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Believe in this Son of God. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. <clears throat> out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbound him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. If you've been in church and around Christianity for a long time, we fairly casually talk about incidents like this and occurrences in the Bible and even what we're celebrating this morning. But what Jesus has done and what the scripture communicates and what I'm asking you to believe this morning is that Jesus quite literally raised a man from the dead. A man had been in a tomb for four days. And Jesus Christ, the man who walked this earth as the son of God, has power over this physical death. This physical death that scares us, this physical death that saddens us, and this physical death that seems so very final to us. I'm not asking you to be amazed at this feat of supernatural power, although that's absolutely there. I'm telling you that you need to believe that this is true and in it you need to see the glory of God and his power over death and what it means for you. What it means for you this morning that Jesus Christ, the son of God, has power over death. Last week when Chase was speaking about Palm Sunday... He referenced the tensions that existed in the city of Jerusalem. Sunday, a week ago, as people moved to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover, Lazarus was actually connected to the tensions that would have existed in the city at that time. In John chapter 12, verse 9 through 11, it says this, The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. They're talking about Jesus. And they came... Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Think about that. 
You've heard this man, Lazarus, was raised from the dead, and now you have the opportunity. You know you've heard that he's in Jerusalem, and he's somewhere, and people have come to see him. And you can imagine having the chance to walk up and talk to him. You're like, like you were dead? And, you know, we, we, you can read accounts of people who, who were dead for 15 seconds or whatever, and they talk about what they saw and what they experienced. And, and there, you, can, you can go to the Internet and find all kinds of conversations about that, and people have written books about it. But here's a man pre-internet you could walk up to. And he had been dead for four days. And people knew that he was dead. And there were witnesses that saw him go into the tomb. And four days later, they saw him come back out. And he was alive. And because Jesus Christ had done that, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. But also they wanted to kill Lazarus because he was alive. These events happened and are recorded so that we can glorify Jesus. We can know that he is the son of God. He is God who came to live here as a man in all the weakness and frailties that that implies. He knows the emotions of humanity. He knows the temptations that fill this world. He knows that it was a man that brought sin into the world. And because of that, a man had to pay the penalty for that sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For if by the offense of one death reigned through the one, that one would be Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through the one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind, so also through one act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, and that is capitalized, the one, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. That's who he is. So why does it matter that Jesus loves you? It matters because that is who he is, the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. But now as we transition into this week of passion and look at what he has done, we know that on numerous occasions he had shared with his disciples the fact that he was actually going to die and he was going to raise from the dead. And that concept, that idea is so dramatically foreign to really all of us that when he said that, they didn't quite know how to process that. They didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know what that would look like. They didn't quite understand what he was saying. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. He told them that's what would happen. And as a week ago on Sunday, as he marched triumphantly into the city and people celebrated him for who he was, the events that would lead to his death began to gain momentum. The Bible doesn't say it specifically, but it implies that even the resurrection of Lazarus was a catalyst to cause the religious leaders to say, this is a much bigger problem than we thought it is and we need to do something about it. And we won't, for sake of time, walk through all the details of what happened during this week of passion. But as that, as that momentum gathered, these religious leaders bribed one of his followers, a member of his tightest circle, and this man, Judas, betrayed him for money. 
He pointed him out. He led them to him. He turned him over. And the religious leaders, they first tried him as a heretic. They called him a blasphemer for proclaiming himself to be the son of God. And they didn't have the authority to really do anything about it. And so they got him inserted into the Roman justice system where this sham of a trial led him to, be, to being sentenced to die on a cross. And in Matthew chapter 27, it says this, Pilate, he's the Roman leader who was tasked with proclaiming the sentence to crucify Christ. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, crucify him. But he said, what evil has he done? Yet they kept shouting all the more saying, crucify him. Now when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. You yourselves shall see. And all the people replied, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Their hatred for him was so great. Then he released Barabbas from, for them. They, he was going to release either this prisoner named Barabbas or Jesus, and they wanted Barabbas. But after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman co cohort to him. And they stripped him and put a red cloak on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And they put a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the cloak off him and put his own garment back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Serene named Simon who they compelled to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, verse 35 says they crucified him. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. So Christ is hanging on the cross and just this darkness comes across the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. In John, it says that he cried out and said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Also, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now as for the centurion... And those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the other things that were happening, they became extremely frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So as Jesus, in all the agony of the cross, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Why those words? 
Well, the physical agony of the cross, again, if you've been in church and heard Easter messages before, I'm sure you've heard people go through in excruciating detail the suffering that Christ endured from a physical perspective. But in a transaction that I really can't begin to even fully comprehend, Jesus Christ suffered the penalty for the sins of every person who will ever live. The sins of every person who will ever live. And the darkness of that task is beyond comprehension and beyond whatever physical agony he suffered. And in that moment, as he cried out, as he bore the sins of everybody, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, it is finished. His work to redeem, to pay a price that we couldn't pay, was done. He was victorious over sin. But you know what? He was dead. I don't know if you've ever been around a situation where death has occurred. Maybe paramedics are there. They're trying to save the person. And there's chaos and it's crazy and it's loud and everybody's scared and it's It's the worst thing in life, right? It's the worst. And then it's over. There's nothing else to be done. It's over. And it's quiet. And it's devastating. And Jesus' family and friends and followers are standing there at the foot of a cross watching their friend, their son, dead. And when it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea came, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out in the rock and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and he went away. We know the experience, probably everybody in this room, of someone who dies. And we know that in that moment, it's the end of hope. It's the end of time. We want another minute. We want another conversation but we can't have one. It's final. We can undo a lot of things, right? We can figure out our way out of a lot of situations. There are a lot of things that we can, they can go really, really wrong, but we can find a way to make them right. Death isn't one of them. This death was horrible. It was brutal, savage. The events that preceded it were dramatic. And then it was over. One week ago, he had been celebrated as he entered the city. Hosanna to the king. They had hoped in Jesus. And he was gone. But we spent the first part of our time this morning looking at a time when Christ demonstrated power 
over death. And it doesn't end here. In Luke 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in gleaming clothing. And as the women were, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to him, to them, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee? Saying the Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. And they remembered his words. See, Jesus, our Savior, conquered both sin and death. And he did it because he loves you. You individually. Remember the problem I talked about at the beginning? We are sinful people. We're separated from God. And we can't fix it. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible because of the symbolism of it, the description of it, is what has happened. In this time, there was a temple. And this temple was separated and, and certain people could only go in certain places. And only the high priest could go behind this veil because there was a holiness to it. And he went through this purification ceremonies and everything had to be right for him to enter that so that he could commune with God. And as I was reading the account a couple of minutes ago of Christ on the cross and it talked about darkness, but then in the middle of it it said, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And that separation that we cannot fix where we are separated from God because of our sin has been removed through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning it is as simple as this. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is why what we celebrate today is literally the most important thing in the history of the world and the most important thing for you to ever hear and to believe. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. He is not here, for he is risen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you again for the power of your word. We trust in these words and their power to speak to our hearts. Help us as we close this morning to again unite our hearts in, in worship and praise and glory to our risen Savior, Jesus Christ.